Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Owen and Murph here in Dublin. Hello there. Hi, Kieran. And Ken is in Vegas where he managed to pack quite a few notes into the 13 seconds it took Conor McGregor to dethrone Jose Aldo. This was Ken, as um, as revealed by Ken earlier. McGregor down in gorilla pose, get back, walking around like gorilla, Aldo in prize fighter stance, bouncing. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the notes that were taken. Uh, then the, that was actually slightly more detailed than what Paul Dollery managed to jot down. He was covering the fight for the 42.8. Mm. I don't know if you saw this tweet. No. McGregor left hook. <laughs> so <laughs> what he managed to, it's, people have different, you know, some people like to be more detailed in their note taking mm. and some of Ken's very detailed. Paul obviously just he likes the basics and decided that he, there wasn't much more to get into that space of time mm. by the time the thing finished. Does but, anyone uh, have dramatic. a vine of the fight? Uh, Ken tweeted on uh, Sunday morning, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which basically sums it up. I mean, if you can squeeze any sporting event into a vine, then you know your your you, the level of note taking required would not be huge. Well, it's very interesting when something like that finishes so suddenly. Even the commentators who are seasoned pros at this thing, Joe Rogan, and I always forget the name of mm. the other commentator he's on there with. They almost. They don't actually get quite as excited as they, it's hard for them to work out what's happened. Almost immediately, they're out, out calling for the replay. Mm. You can hear them say, "Well, yeah, there was was that the first punch? Was there?" An, you're not quite attuned to it being about to end. Mm. Whereas maybe when you see a guy in trouble, you're really taking it all. You're just waiting to see what happens as a commentator, I would imagine. And then suddenly, it's it's absolutely it's it's over. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that there's just a uh, well, it's combat sport. So mm. there, when it ends uh, before the final bell, it's going to be. It's it's a shocking moment. Yeah, uh, you just don't expect that shocking moment. You know, even season pros, as you say, you're not expecting that after 13 seconds. Body language, Kieran. Mm. I'm here to talk to you about body language. This is the point I want to make about yeah McGregor Aldo. Yeah. Um. Did you? Uh. I didn't watch it live. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hold. No my hand no up. no no. I re- no, five in the morning. Yeah. I, record, I, I recorded, recorded it. Yeah. Turned my phone off. Got up at 10 a.m. Said right. Got to watch this. So. I was tr- I was trying to get my thoughts in order because I knew that you, as I was watching it, I was like, the one thing we're going to be talking about here is body language because the right. two fighters were so completely different. <laughs> they looked completely different. It, what what came to mind was uh, all of McGregor. McGregor looked like McGregor always looks, yep. and that's how he's always going to operate. The Aldo thing, when I was watching it, it was like kind of like that. 
you know, there was like a kung fu fight that happened on the lawn of the Simpsons house in one of the early Simpsons episode. And w- one of the guys, they were all dressed in black except for one guy who was wearing a white suit. And Homer, Marge drags Homer inside and Homer says something on the lines of, the, wh- the guy in the white suit hasn't done anything yet and I bet you it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and I was thinking that that's Jose Aldo. I mean, if, jo- if Jose Aldo goes, goes on to win this fight, that's the reference I will make yeah. on Monday when Owen asked me about body language. Because he, lo- he looked so obviously nervous, so obviously uh, within wired. himself, wired, uh, that what was going to happen was either a horrible damn squib or the most outrageous outpouring of vengeance and uh, a nervous energy such that would sweep Conor McGregor clean out of the octagon and maybe halfway back across the Atlantic Ocean. That's what I was thinking. And I, if I was watching it live, then I'd be like, well, everyone's in the same boat here trying to figure out what the hell's going on with Josie Aldo because it was obvious that he was not, that, that something was up here. Mm. The fact that I was watching it at 10 a.m. in the morning after it had already happened added a further layer of confusion onto mm-hmm. what I was watching in that... You know, I wasn't trying to figure out with the rest of the world. I was thinking something at that moment that a large portion of the world knew to be utter nonsense <laughs> because they'd watched the yeah. thing live. And uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, but I mean, it is. It's it, 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 the idea, uh, and body language is kind of nonsense, really, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you one person who disagree with that, Murph. Okay, I'm doing a little bit of work on this this morning. I, I'm, daily, I'm I'm uh, basing that mostly on Daily Mail articles that I may or may not have read about. You people's just haven't had the right body language expert. I've been consulting my favorite in the genre, Patty Wood. Okay, Patty just styles herself as being the gold standard in this field, according to the banner on her website. Patty Wood is the Babe Ruth of body language experts. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the good start. The golden standard of body language experts. The so the gold standard of body language experts. The Capo di tutti capi of body <laughs> language experts. But that's the Washington Post. That's not Patty saying this, Murph. That's the Washington Post. Brilliant, brilliant, So brilliant. she advised, I was looking, you know what? I was looking, I spent quite an inordinate amount of time this morning researching body language to find something useful mm. to say about it. A lot of nonsense written about it, Murph. I will, I will agree with you, but finally I got down to know, I found Patty. Yeah. I just, okay. I knew by the, Search is her power poses, the way she, her photographs looked. Yeah. She just knew how to carry herself. Yeah. So there'd be a bit, just a little bit, Stairs, shoulders, big, broad, you know, mm. just looking like I'm dominating this. Even though you're a human being looking at me and you're in full control of your senses, you're enthralled to me. That's what she was saying to me. It was yeah, quite clear. Yeah, she was yeah. like, anyway, she says, this is how she advises her clients, her corporate clients, on how they should boss their pesky little staff around the place. Yeah. Get them doing stuff they want. Think about taking up more space. Start with a broader stance. For men, that means standing with your feet up to 10 inches apart. For women wearing pants... That means you can increase the distance between your feet to seven or eight inches. No mention if women are wearing any other clothes, but if you're wearing pants, so keep your arms further from your body, keep your head up, and make significant lingering eye contact without staring. And that's where Aldo fell down. Mm. Zero eye contact when he came in the ring. Zero. He was the part where you would... And he should have worn a pantsuit. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) The part where you expect a fighter to to, um, be calm when he was getting in the UFC to have this ritual, which is kind of interesting that mm. you see them getting all the, uh, whatever it is, put put in around their eyes, equivalent of Vaseline, that yeah. kind of substance, put around their eyes, all that was going on. And he was, he couldn't stand still. He was being asked to calm down. Then when he actually gets into the ring, the bit where maybe you expect a bit more 
up and at him attitude, that's when he just stood there suddenly looking down at his feet. Now, maybe that was his ploy, or maybe he just panicked when he got into the ring and didn't want to see. Presumably it was part of the thinking, but um, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And body language to me is always clap-trap, you know? The, the idea that... Uh, but at the same time, maybe body language is also... You know, it's only ever brought in in a situation like this where there are two completely opposite types of body language and it's really easy for someone to stand up and say, well, one's right and the other is wrong. It's like Especially when one has knocked the other guy out in 13 seconds. Yeah. To return to the Daily Mail... It was more Mail, about the power of the left, yeah. uh, left shot that he landed, I think, that he won the, the fight. But certainly, of... but Aldo didn't, wasn't all there. No. Didn't, didn't turn yeah. up, didn't see. And uh, to return to the Daily Mail yes. uh, analogy of body language that I, I referenced earlier, oftentimes it's... Uh, one member of the couple has been found to have been cheating on the other and the two of them look quite sullen uh, on holidays on a yacht or something. <laughs> and the body language expert says, well, looking at this photograph, yes, I can yeah. see quite clearly that there are problems yeah. in this relationship. I don't think Paddy would have been blown away by Johnny Sexton's demeanour yesterday as his tactical kicking game completely deserted him. It was kind of weird. You got the sense that Leinster were putting in one of these heroic backs-to-the-wall performances. But... The momentum was getting killed every time. Loose kicks, particularly in the first half, I just thought caused some serious yardage. Quite a bit of momentum. I'm sure Toulon, Toulon are the kind of thing that always do enough anyway, so I'm sure they would have won, but any chance, you just Leinster can't function if Johnny Sexton is, uh, his kicking game deserts him as it did. Looked pretty disgusted with himself. Anthony Foley didn't just look annoyed, Murph. He was openly critical of mm. his players afterwards when he was asked what, what was up. What was being said in the team huddle just there, Anthony? <laughs> you know, in <laughs> fairness, a couple of minutes after a, a pretty damaging home defeat yeah. in the European Cup. Not good enough. Uh, and he's, it, it, the, our Paddy would not have made much of Anthony Foley's uh, post-match interview. She would have been upset. At, we, we, I would say if, if, if she could focus just exclusively on the width between Anthony Foley's two <laughs> ankles... I, you know, she maybe she'd start there, but I would say that his facial reactions probably told a little bit more than the distance between his right ankle and his left yeah, ankle. Did not look happy. Paddy also says gestures should be strong and decisive. As you sit in your chair right now, point your finger and sweep it across your body and say, "I want you to take this and move it over there." I'm going to move along from Paddy. Did I say Paddy Smith? I've completely <laughs> no. Paddy Wood. Paddy Wood. Paddy Wood is. Did you say Paddy Smith? I might have at one stage. I don't know. No, what I don't think in my so. head. Shane Horgan on the rugby later on in the show. But right now, let's talk McGregor. Oh, there's blackjack and poker and the roulette wheel. A fortune won and lost on every deal. All you need is strong heart and a new steel. Beaver. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Go ahead, you go ask for Beaver. Yes, and their new world federate of the championship, Conor Yes, Ken Early, you're a reporter on the ground in Las Vegas, and our listeners have demanded to know what you made of the biggest sports story of the year. So tell us, did you make it to the National Rodeo Finals? <laughs> <laughs> I never did make it to the no. National Rodeo Finals, Owen. Uh, they've been on all week. Uh, they've been... Uh, and uh, they've been taking place not here, just a little bit down the road. And I have had, a, I have spent a little bit of time among the cowboys. Go on. And I have to say, I'm really glad that I, I didn't grow up among the cowboys, or <laughs> or have to really spend my time around cowboys. Any well, sense? What's your beef? They, What's I beg your pardon. What's your beef with the the cowboys? Ken? 
Well, Owen, I have to say that uh, there's certain similarities between uh, the cowboy culture and uh, I think what you see in certain um, fundamentalist religious desert parts of the world. Uh, You've obviously got that extreme extreme religiosity, you've got a certain amount of homophobia and sexism, you've got a conformist dress code, and (laughs) uh, which everybody, literally everybody adheres to, uh, child brides and all this kind of stuff. Um, It's a difficult culture really, Owen, to, uh, uh, for an outsider, uh, to feel like they can get to grips with in any meaningful way. I wish the cowboys well. Uh, in, the, in in their separate uh, sphere of the world, but I'm not sure that I'm ever really going to try and spend more time with them than I, than I really need to. All right, well, tell us your experience of the, the fight, Ken, the short-lived um, fight. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, Owen. Uh, I really can't say it any other, uh, any other way than that. Uh, this was one of the most uh, astonishing things I've seen in sports, it reminded me of the 7-1 between Germany and Brazil, sort of compressed into a 13-second spell. You even had those, the gurning faces of those horrified Brazilians. I don't know if you've seen the yeah. uh, video yeah. of Jose Aldo's oh, corner yeah. man um, reacting with, uh, with horror to this almost, I mean, a stupefying event that had taken place before his eyes. It, it was... It was just beyond belief that this could happen. There was more months of build-up to this fight than there were seconds in the fight. <laughs> Jose Aldo <laughs> talked about how his his leg kicks were, you know, once he landed a kick on Conor McGregor, he'll regret everything he's ever said. He didn't get to lift his leg until they were sort of swinging above his head as his, as his face hit the hit the deck. There was four meaningful punches. Well, there was four punches I think thrown by McGregor. The first there was five punches in the fight. I think altogether, a five-punch fight. Each one of them did damage, in fact. Um, the first one split Aldo's nose open. The second one was the one that knocked him out. The third one was the punch that Aldo had started to throw as he was in the process of getting knocked out, which hit McGregor so hard above the eye, even though the mind that, wa- that was directing uh, the punch had stopped working at that moment. That had opened the cut above his right eye. And then McGregor hit although twice when he was on the ground before the referee came to stop the fight. So, um, yeah, it was, let's say a lot was packed into 13 seconds. I mean, obviously, it's a massive anticlimax in a way for everybody in the arena. McGregor himself even said that afterwards. I kind of wish it had gone on just a little bit longer, given everything that had gone into it, uh, given the, given this interminable build-up. I mean, one of the longest build-ups, really, of, of any time for any fight. But in terms of a statement of... Here I am, and this is what I can do. I don't. I don't really think you can make a more spectacular one. It was. It was ridiculous. Yeah, what it really was. You know, in terms of backing up the talk, as everyone has been saying over the last couple of days, uh, and we will talk more about McGregor. But the commentators even noticed Aldo, uh, all those body language before the fight. You know, before the bell rang, those last few seconds, looking unbelievably tense. McGregor looking as relaxed as he always does, doing his kind of. Uh, animalistic impressions, almost loosening the body, doing all those things. Uh, Aldo hunched before he, and before he and got into the ring, even pinched, Aldo, yeah. the, the the guy who was checking to make just rubbing a little bit of Vaseline onto Aldo's face uh, uh, above either eye, Aldo couldn't stop moving his head. He was so nervous. Mm. Your man actually like tried three or four times and then stopped because Aldo's head was moving so much. I mean, the the guy looked 
so nervous. Which is so disappointing. This is the guy who's been a champion for a decade. You're, you, you would have expected a little bit more mental strength, no? You would. You, you really would. But, you know, maybe it seems as though um, what McGregor had been doing it had had the desired effect on Aldo. I mean, at the weigh-in, which was, you know, on the Friday, um, Aldo had actually looked confident. Uh, McGregor had looked awful. Uh, and he looks really terrible, like, you know, really ill, like a seriously ill man. This, this sunken face, you know, this body, which is, which is just shrunk away to this frail skeleton from all the water that he's, that he's lost out of his system for, to, to try and make this, uh, this weight, this weight coat, which I don't think he's particularly interested in ever doing again, uh, although we, I suppose we can get to that. And, and he looked sort of so weak and, and so kind of uh, reduced that when Aldo came in, and Aldo looks sort of quite confident and faced up to him quite well, that the odds immediately changed in the fight. McGregor had been the favorite before the weigh-in. And after the way, and Aldo was a favorite. Everyone was looking at it going, Aldo looks great. McGregor's, oh my God, he looks, like, he looks so wretched. There's no way. Of course, McGregor does this for every fight. Uh, somehow he manages to kind of reinflate uh, and come back at something close to his optimum physical condition uh, within 24 hours. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable thing uh, that, he's, that he's able to do there. But once, you know, even, even before, I mean, I was sitting there next to this octagon. He came out, McGregor came out. It was an amazing atmosphere. You know, everybody's obviously uh, very excited. When the the whole uh, introduction uh, takes a while. You know, they 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 play the foggy Jew and then they kind of um, uh, splice it into you know hypnotize and towards mm-hmm. B.I.G. and uh, that goes on for for quite a while. I mean, they play loads of the song. Then uh, they sort of you know, it's it's Aldo's turn to come in. They were playing what was it, Rihanna, Run This Town, and he comes out. Uh, that that also went on for minutes. So I was watching McGregor during that. It went on for quite a long time. He had a long time to wait between sort of coming in and you know sort of that, all that sort of energy from the crowd directed at him. Then he had to sort of wait while everything happened while Aldo uh, came in and got ready to go. Uh, you know he was kind of. I mean, you could, you could easily have watched his body language then and, and thought, well, he looks a bit nervous as well. Look at him sort of fidgeting, pacing, jumping around, kicking the kicking the walls of the cage. You know what I mean? If he'd been the one who'd been knocked out after 13 seconds, maybe everyone would go, oh, look at this, you know, look at him, uh, his restlessness. But, you know, evidently, he's somebody who's able to, you know, he is, he is a performer who is improved by the presence of a big audience. You know, it makes him actually better. You know, he's more, you know, when, he, when he's performing in front of an audience, when he's speaking, he's, you know, he's more animated, um, when he, he's more energetic, when he's, when he's actually in the octagon. I mean, not everybody is like that. You know, you have people who are better in training than in bouts. Uh, and I think McGregor is one of the other kind. The uh, the knockout you talked about there, the sh- shocking nature of it, I guess. So how would you compare how you how you experienced that uh, uh, as compared to the Mendez fight, which was dramatic in its own way, but obviously totally different. Well, the Mendez fight, I mean, I, I, I had like you know a couple of pages of notes. You know, I'm just kind of watching it and trying to type what just type what I'm seeing while I'm watching it, just so that I can remember what you know. I can go back and say, oh, you know, you, you forget things if you don't have some kind of notes. So I was, just, I was just like, you know, blah blah, watching this, and uh, he's. I mean, there, there, there was quite a lot of it. There was a back and forth. You know, McGregor was cut. You know, he was down. Um, at one point, Mendes looked quite dominant, although you know, McGregor will kind of deny that was was the case. You know, he doesn't even even looking back on things that have already happened. He doesn't want to admit that at any point things look like they might have gone wrong. You know what I mean? That's kind of his his uh, belief system. Um, but you know, there, there was there was back and forth there. There was sort of atmosphere. There was tension, and then there was there was uh, kind of release. Whereas this was just bang, it's over. The fight's over. You know, this unbelievable um, 
McGregor's running around. He's jumping on the, the fence. He, he was flipping the bird to some people. I don't know who it was. Uh, he made, you know, the make it rain. Uh, money is raining from the ceiling of the club gesture. Uh, and, and Aldo's there. You're just looking at this car. I can't believe this is over already. I can't believe this is over. Aldo's there kind of complaining. Uh, Aldo seems to then, oh, you know, he, he's having, he's, he's saying something to the official. And you think, did they stop it a bit too, too quickly? And looking at the replay. No, he was completely gone. He was he was totally gone. He could he had the referee had to stop it, you know. The, he had to stop it to save Aldo from, you know, from from what would have happened. Yeah. Um. So it was, you know, it's it's sort of it, it was kind of unreal. It was like over too fast almost to kind of latch onto. Then you are kind of watching the replays, watching replays. You know, it's 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 an easy fight to watch a replay because there's only 13 seconds of it. So you can kind of watch the entire fight many times to to make up your mind about what happened. You know, it's not like a um, baseball game or something like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, what was the reaction amongst the the crowd over there? Because uh, obviously, I can sense the disappointment in your voice that you go all the way around the world to Vegas to watch a fight, and the, and I mean, obviously, the possibility is always there that there's going to be a knockout this quickly. But that you would think that there is a narrative. There is, as you said, the the swings back and forth in a fight. Like none of that happened. Now the uh, McGregor fans that were over there. Obviously, their man has gone and done something so spectacular that it will reverberate around the world. So, obviously, it's a good day for them. But at the same time, they went to Vegas. They saw 13 seconds of action. Well, they went to Vegas. Yeah, but, you know, once... I mean, you got to remember how cognitive dissonance works anyway, Kirod. I mean, if you, if you spend a ton of money to go over to Vegas to watch a fight and you see the fight and, and your man wins... Then, of course, you're going to say that it was the most amazing thing ever, even if maybe part of you would have liked to see a bit more of a fight. I mean, as I said, McGregor... Even McGregor said, thought I, I that, kind of, yeah. Yeah, he said, I sort of wish it had gone on a bit longer, but, you know. But, you know, everyone who was there will think, well, I was there for, for a great moment. I mean, ultimately, you know, there, there were some people uh, who, who I saw later who, who had failed to get tickets for the fight, you know, which were, which were obviously changing hands for hundreds and, you know, 400, 500 maybe even more, maybe that you kind of face value is more $400. And, you know, if you want to get one sort of on the day, you're going to end up paying even more than that. And these lads had paid like $50 to watch it on CCTV. So, you know, in a big, uh, a big sort of room, the casino with big screens and loads of people and kind of a big, you know, an atmosphere, not unlike what's in the mm. MGM itself and therefore had saved themselves hundreds of dollars. And they were, they were sort of saying how relieved they were that they'd done that. But of course that's just cognitive distance again. Nobody wants to, you know, maybe they, maybe they regret not actually, being there in the flesh to see this thing happen. I mean, ultimately, they're not was telling. A, they're not thing. telling anyone that they watch it in a close uh, CCTV beside the MGM. By the time they get home to Ireland, they will have they will, their story will have been amended slightly in their own heads. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's 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 <laughs> we we all know that's how it goes. I mean, it's very difficult to remember things with any real accuracy what mm. did happen i mean that's how you know that's why you have to make notes of these things when when they happen you know i was watching the press conference afterwards uh, I, th I think that they do one press conference where they all sit around and then there's a separate the one i was watching anyway was the one with mcgregor by himself standing there and um being performing brilliantly as he always does at these things but he was yeah. uh, i was watching through the prism of how you had set the fight up, talking to us and also in your piece in the Irish Times and that is that if mcgregor wins he suddenly starts calling the shots if he's not already he he Essentially, I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit, but is bigger than the sport. And watching it with that in mind, I was quite interested in a, just his tone and actually what he said and, and how he said it. This is my division, he says at one stage. I say what I do now, which is pretty clear. And the, he's very clear in saying that I'm not vacating any belts. I, I'll go up a weight. 
I'll win a belt there. But I mean, I'm not giving up the belt at the weight that I'm leaving, which is yeah. bonkers. Because I mean, in, in in any combat sport, if you move any sport with weight divisions, if you're if you move up one or down one, generally you vacate the the belt that's there. But he s- certainly seems to think that he's in the position now where he makes all the calls. Oh, it's incredible! You know, it's it's like it's like watching a, it was like watching a movie. This this whole situation. He took ages to come into the press conference. Apparently, he didn't want to do it. And then they said, then he then he said, "Okay, I'll do it." Can why, I why didn't he, the, why didn't he want I to stand? do it? Sorry, why would he not have wanted to do the press conference? Because he he done like loads of interviews, and he's like, "Oh, I want to go." And then they're like, "Oh, you have to do." It. He goes, "Okay, well, can I stand at the podium then?" They said, "All right." So he goes in, stands at the podium like the president, right? <laughs> Literally, the president. I, I, who's usually standing at that podium? Dana White. Right, he is the actual president of the UFC. He usually puts himself at the center of those things. And the point is to reinforce the message, I'm the real star here. You know, but he's actually stopped doing some of these press conferences. He did one the previous night after the, you know, they have this the ultimate fighter finale. They've had, they've had, not, they've had fights on three nights in a row. He had done one on the Saturday, uh, the Friday night, I should say. He'd been at this press conference. Uh, but he didn't, he didn't appear at the one after that. He left it to Dave Schaller, who's like the, um, the kind of the PR uh the, the 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 PR guy the main PR guy in the, in the UFC so he so he's he's apparently fallen out with some of the media and he thinks you know they twist his words or whatever or, you know don't present the world as he would like it to see it being presented and he's kind of taken a step back from some of those duties and now McGregor's there looking like this completely presidential figure holding the holding court it was unbelievable uh, you know I'd think Daniel White be looking at that and thinking maybe I better start doing these press conferences again this is a slightly dangerous situation so there's there's mcgregor being asked okay what what are you going to do next because everybody knows there was a report that that john kavna had told dana white um we're not we can't do this weight cut again we're not doing this weight cut again that's the last time we're fighting at this at this weight so everyone is kind of wanting to know what happens dana white had said well we've got a couple of options maybe there's a 155, you know, the lightweight, that's moving the 10 pounds above where he is now. We, maybe we could do that. Or, you know, maybe he can fight Frankie Edgar, you know, one of the main contenders for the for the featherweight one, stay in the same division. Uh, or, you know, he could either vacate the belt and go to 155, or maybe he'd fight Frankie Edgar. Now, essentially what McGregor is saying, his solution to this problem is he now fights at uh, the higher weight division, 155. Mm-hmm. He, fights the, he fights the champion of that division for an immediate shot at that title, wins that title. Meanwhile, back in the featherweight division, he, can, he continues to hold the belt while all the contenders uh, sort of square off to, to sort themselves out and see who's fit to come forward and, uh, and have a crack at him. Whereupon, I suppose, he'd go back down to the, to the 145 and, and, and fight whoever it was that, you know, probably Frankie Edgar, maybe Jose Aldo. Uh, you know, Jose Aldo now, uh, Jose Aldo immediately in the ring, he said, we need to have a rematch. You know, that wasn't a fight. We need to have a, a rematch, you know, have a proper fight. But there's no way they're going to give Jose Aldo a rematch because they, they don't like Jose Aldo. Mm. The, you know, the UFC doesn't like him. He's pulled out of fights before. Um, he's criticized He's criticized them, made totally justifiable criticisms, in in my opinion, about, about the conditions, the way they uh, pay the fighters and all this kind of thing. But, you know, from their point of view, he's pulled out of a series of fights. And when he does turn up to fight, Nobody buys the pay-per-view. Well, nobody until last night, but clearly they weren't buying it for Josie Allo. It was for Conor McGregor. So they're quite glad, I think, to have got him out of their hair now. Yeah, Joe Rogan, he... yeah, Rogan talking after the fight. It was pretty obvious that, like, I don't want to see Josie Aldo. I have no interest in seeing this man again. Uh, yeah. the, 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 guy, the, um, the guy that was presenting beside Joe Rogan was asking him, surely it's time for a rematch. This wasn't a fight as Josie Aldo. Yeah, he said, yeah, it was a fight. 
he was knocked out in 13 seconds. So that's yeah. pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a problem. Which I is mean, a fair enough, in fairness. I mean, it is actually a fair enough argument you could make. Uh, it is. Time. I mean, it's, it's just, I, I mean, I felt intensely sorry for Jose Aldo, I have to say, because the humiliation of what he suffered there is almost, you know, beyond expression. You know, the, I don't know if you saw the image from taken from his uh, his locker room where he's he's sitting on the ground. He's just sitting there on the on the ground. His head is kind of bowed. All his his guys, his cornermen, his coaches and whatnot are all sitting around him in a similar sort of uh, attitude. And you know, it's it just looks like the most miserable scene that you can imagine. Imagine you've gone ten years undefeated. Your your entire identity is bound up with your sense of yourself as a champion, and suddenly here you are. Utterly humiliated. The worst, the most humiliating um, defeat that any champion has suffered in the, in the history of the sport. So, and you, and, and you know that you're pretty unlikely to ever have a chance to make amends for it. That's painful. And I, I did feel that when Aldo was speaking uh, to Rogan in the ring afterwards, there was a lot of booing from the Irish fans. And I thought to myself, come on, guys. You know, you could see, for instance, John Kavanagh standing there, very um, scrupulous, very clapping, you know, sort of in a, in a sort of kind of looking around a little bit, sort of very ostentatiously applauding Jose Aldo as though to say, you know, come on, let's mm. let's lay off on this guy now. But, you know, that's not the style of, that's not the style of your Irish fans these days. Not, not anymore. Alan. But I want to ask you a bit more about the fans, but just on the, uh, to get back to that power play that McGregor seems to already be making, do, does he honestly, well, do you honestly believe that he has so much power within the sport now that he can dictate those terms? I mean, to, to, this idea that he can actually go up a weight um, and not vacate a belt, go up a weight, and therefore in that time he's preparing for the the fight uh, in the lightweight division and fighting it. What he's saying is, well, nobody else is allowed to fight for my belt. You know, maybe they can have an interim fight, but they're not actually fighting for my belt because I want to hold two at the same time, which subverts the way we would always view any of these sports that actually structure themselves in the way that UFC does, uh, and that is having multiple world champions in different weight divisions. Do, do, do you actually think that he can do that? I think he might. I think he. I think he might be able to. I mean, he's obviously determined to do it. And if uh, and if they say no, uh, then I suppose he can say, "Well, do I really have to fight for your promotion?" Because but where does he go? I mean, what what else does he do? Well, there are other there are other promotions. Mm. You know, there's like Bellator or whatever. There's other there's less less famous ones. But you know, you're not talking about like a. It's not as though the you know it's written in stone that the UFC always has to be the. Uh, the only possible business, the only possible company that can run uh, this sport. I mean, he's you know he's by far the biggest draw. His power comes from the fact that he's the biggest draw. So people will pay to watch his fights. They won't pay to watch most of the other fighters fight. All the fighters want to fight him now. They're they're all talking about him. Oh, that's the money fight. You know, they're all sort of praising him. They're all singing his tune. It's amazing. The whole thing has 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 lined up, and they're sort of singing his tune. Now he spoke in this press conference about the law of attraction which I think is, is, is quite an interesting aspect of him. And this is the way that he looks at the world. And he made like a very explicit reference to it because someone was saying, well, you, you predicted that you'd knock him, knock him out in the first round. You said that his, you could see his right hand twitching, you know, in, this, in the way in, that that was a subtle tell to me, his right hand. He wants to throw that right hand. He's going to get in trouble throwing that right hand. This is exactly what happened. You know, so the guy's like, oh, how do, how do you do this? And McGregor's answer uh, essentially cited the the law of attraction uh, in which you know it, what he said essentially that uh, you know I visualize these things happening um, 
sometimes people think something's going to happen, but they keep it to themselves. They're afraid to actually say it. I, I see it happening, and then I say it. And once you're doing that, once you have the courage to say, this is what I see happening, this is what I believe is going to happen, then that law of attraction starts to work, and then you know, the, then you sort of you get what you want. He's, this, he believes this stuff, seriously. Um, but why wouldn't he? Because every, every, at every turn, literally at every step of his career, uh, his his beliefs are being positive, positively reinforced by events. Yeah, you know what I mean, he's like a guy who he's like a guy who's like betting on black, like, uh, and he and he's won seven times in a row. You know what I mean? And he's like, well, of course. I mean, I bet on black, and it comes down black. You know, you you you, you maybe you eventually start to to have a, a form of of magical thinking, but you know the 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 achievement so far. He's back. He's saying, look, you know, I'm I'm backing it up. Mist, Mystic Mac strikes again you know as he's as he's saying and and when you when you look at the way that he's he's kind of controlling what happens uh, you start to wonder uh, to what extent he can he can make things happen i mean he put he put on the agenda this idea that he might make a hundred million dollars well how did floyd mayweather make a hundred make you know 200 million dollars the answer is he sold uh what 4.7 was it 4.7 million pay-per-views so it was something like that yeah yeah 4.7 million pay-per-views um now, in France, they were expensive ones. They were $100. I think the UFC ones are usually $60. So you've got to factor that in as well. But probably more than a million pay-per-views for this fight that McGregor was in uh, just last night. That's pretty good. Mm. You know, there's, there's, you know it's, it's, it's possible to imagine that number going a good bit higher if, you know, you're talking about a fight like that happened last night. I mean, that's, that's, that's something that's going to make your name. You can hear people talking about him all the time. Okay, here we are in Las Vegas, the city where this is happening. I don't know if this is obsessing America from sea to shining sea. I seriously <laughs> doubt it. But it is the kind of thing uh, that gets you known. He is obviously a guy who attracts attention. And if Floyd Mayweather, who's surly and, and miserable, <laughs> can you know sell four million, uh, four and a half million pay-per-views, then maybe one day, you know, maybe maybe one day this this could happen. I mean, it seems ludicrous a month ago, and suddenly you're thinking, well, this is actually maybe in the realms of the unlikely but possible. Is that where is is that realm also occupied by the idea of the Croke Park fight, which keeps popping up? But I don't I don't know if you're convinced by. It. I don't know if McGregor is convinced by it even. No, I mean he seems to be saying that he uh, he he said it a few a couple of times that he thinks that he'll be tied to Las Vegas. They've got like a deal with MGM. MGM run of not just the MGM grind, the casino where the one was last night, but a few, like loads of them, loads of them all around the town. They've got this new stadium opening up uh, across the road, which I think is mainly going to be an ice hockey stadium, but it's obviously kind of all-purpose sports venue. There's going to be, um, there's going to be some more fights uh, there. Uh, and McGregor essentially was saying that he thinks it's going to be that 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 the way they've done the deal, he's going to be stuck there at the same time. I mean, as he said, maybe I can demand these things. And, you know, maybe I can, I'm sure he will. The problem with Croke Park is that, um, is, is the obvious one that, uh, the way the UFC works, its commercial model is based on getting Americans to buy pay-per-view. Americans are not going to buy pay-per-view for something that's happening at the wrong time for them. So the event has to more or less happen. Uh, what time did it start? You know, seven o'clock Pacific time, 10 o'clock Eastern time in the United States. What's that in Ireland? Three o'clock in the morning. Can you imagine 80,000 Conor McGregor fans <laughs> in Croke Park at three o'clock on a Sunday morning for, you know, 
there all night watching 11 fights in a row. Tell you um, the Central Competition and Controls Committee will have something to say about that, Ken. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I don't know. I mean, how much how much money would the would they <laughs> the, the Central Competition Controls how much money would they need to uh, to agree <laughs> to that? I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a local resident. I'd be probably leading the protest myself <laughs> if this was happening. As they as they uh, you know were were uh, spilling out of Croke Park at half past five in the morning. So for that reason, it seems unlikely to me that a, a Croke Park. Uh, McGregor fight is going to happen. Well, you tweeted, but a, yeah, you don't know. You, you never know. You tweeted a photo of uh, some of the aforementioned uh, McGregor fans there, Kent, seemingly struggling to make it up an elevator into one of the hotels. Uh, an escalator. And an, es- say, an escalator, I should say. Well, yeah, if there were this many in the elevator, uh, we might be in a bit of bother, but you up the escalator. Yeah, they were running up the down escalator, um, even though they were so drunk that they could barely stand. Now, this obviously was quite an interesting thing to watch because you know I, I didn't know if at some point i was about to i was about to watch a really catastrophic situation develop but you know it seemed as though you know no no one ultimately at least until i got bored and walked away nobody had fallen and caused the entire uh the entire elevator full of sprinting irish fans to plunge uh to, to plunge back to the to the base of this down escalator that they were all trying to go up um it, I mean, yeah, you see, you see these kinds of things. I mean, someone had organised like the twelve pubs of Christmas. Yeah, I saw. You know? I saw poor Holly Holm was at, at the centre of one of these oh. public Q and As, um, being serenaded by by one man uh, and being asked to go along to the twelve pubs of Vegas by another Irish fan. Um, yeah, quite a cringy exchange. She had no idea what he was saying, and um, eventually she had no idea. She yeah. had no idea what he was saying. I mean, did he have an idea of what he's saying? He repeated the 12 Pubs of Christmas a few times. The guy in a duffer tracksuit, mm. a grey duffer tracksuit. He was like, um, uh, I mean, it was, you know, the, the Americans put on these these events. You know, the UFC thinks it can put on an event like that um, where it has, like, uh, some people in and, and they allowed the fans to take the microphone and ask their little questions. I mean, the UFC reckon, oh, that's, you know, that's a good way of getting closer to the fans. Let's do that. But they, they failed to realise that with the with our culture in Ireland, you literally can't do that. Um, Why not? You know, if you wanted, well, I mean, you just because everyone, everyone's going to get drunk and just take the piss out of the whole thing. You know, you see these Americans asking kind of polite, serious questions to Holly Holm. She's like, you know, earnestly answering them. Then some lad is there asking if she wants to hook up with him on Tinder and all this kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, and, and everybody obviously thinks it's hilarious. The crowd is sort of egging itself on. Um, you don't really know if the two women on stage are finding it quite as funny as everyone else. But, you know, it's kind of like, that's just the, that's just the way... Uh, we are not. It's no. It's no wonder they say you know the Irish students are afraid to. They never say anything in class. They're afraid to put their hands up. You know, whereas the Americans are really confident and eager and put up their hands and like say, oh well, could you explain that to me? And you know, asking uh, asking their teacher for information. Whereas Irish students just sit there and say nothing because they know that if they ask, if they say anything, everyone will laugh at them and despise them, while secretly feeling the same inner uh, fear <laughs> themselves. So, <laughs> so you know, that's the culture that we've created out here in this island. At, at times, you know, what I see. Um, when I see the Irish fans sort of swarming around on mass drinking and, and piling into pubs and, you know, uh, starting fights with each other, um, I wonder if the rest of the world isn't a little bit relieved that we're out there on this island surrounded by the sea. But, um, you know, I'm sure at the same time, all those people who went to Las Vegas, I'm sure Las Vegas is in a way grateful to have them there and is looking forward to having them back. Ken, we've already put out a football podcast to reflect on the Euro 2016 draw. I do want to hear what you have to say about it. We've obviously put it out in your in your absence. I hope that's okay. So maybe we'll we'll leave you. We'll give you a breather for a little while and come back to you later on in the show. Is that all right? That sounds good. Great. We'll chat to you later. I say I'm a million percent. That is better than a hundred percent.
So those Irish fans were treating live escalators in Las Vegas much the way the Gladiator contestants used to treat the Travelator mm. right at the end. Although they weren't, it wasn't quite a, a grueling obstacle course before that. So maybe they still had enough energy to get up because that Travelator really caused a lot of issues for yeah. more people than I imagined. And I, I can't remember, you know, maybe my, my mind is playing tricks on me, but I, I don't remember the Gladiators having like 15 pints of beer before going on the Travelator <laughs> as well, <laughs> which probably rare. makes it, and they're highly trained professionals. So you take those two accounts, the absence of the 15 pints and the fact that they're highly skilled uh, trained professionals and you know you, you kind of think that there are, there's different modes of no, safety the gla- work the, here the gladiators didn't go up the travelator no it's just the contestants oh just the oh contestants. yeah okay. but the contestants would have been buffeted around the place in various jewels and on, uh, in various and at the very end of all that so the gladiators would soften them up okay but the travelator was the ultimate test which is interesting right. because it was a machine it Was you forget about all these men and women it was now yeah. man or woman against machine okay and the machine okay. often won what am I talking about and the and the, the last test wasn't drinking fifteen pints of wolf or whatever. No, could have been just to soften them up. I'm, I, I'm not entirely sure. I've lost a train of thought. I've got to get back to more insights from the Babe Ruth of body language experts, Paddy Wood. Do you? Well, I'll just I'll just give you some I'll, I'll give you some headline articles. Okay. What is Michelle Obama's hugging style? That's one of the articles. Chewology. What your chew IQ says about you. <laughs> that's, well, that rhymes. That's good. And, and this is my favorite. My my friends love to introduce me as a body language expert. That's the title of an article that she has. <laughs> uh, I haven't read that one. Yeah, nor am I going to. <laughs> I have numerous leather-bound books. <laughs> yeah. Ken has a very uh, excellent profile piece, I suppose you'd call it, on Conor McGregor in our annual, Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1. Pretty well worth reading, given the week that's in it. Secondcaptains.com. You can uh, get the book on there, or you can go into any of the bookshops, any good bookshop, and get it for yourself there. Not much time to go before Christmas now. Uh, I'd say a lot of the retailers were hit over the weekend. It was pretty rainy. I was in Dublin City Centre. It didn't seem to be as busy as normal. So there's a chink of light between now and next weekend. Just get your shopping all done in one quick go. Yeah, one like kind of yeah, yeah, 45 minute burst of acceleration. The Irish Times Set Captain's Football Podcast is out now. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. Walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to okay. you now. I'm down to one field and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? On the Second Captain's Football uh, podcast, on we hail Ireland's, well, I'm going to use a technical term, pudding. Of a uh, of a uh, Euro 2016 group is that um, easier? Oh, easy! Right. Oh, come on! It it, it you know one's uh, yeah a, a pudding mm. piece of cake. Mm. Uh, so we're we're at, what we've actually done is we've uh, totally disregarded the group and we've tried to plot our route all the way to the final. So we spent a lot of time on that cursory glance that uh, the three wins we're going to get against Belgium, <laughs> number one ranked team in the in in the world, Italy, and poor. Hapless Sweden. Um, delighted, of course, just to be there, Ellen. Yep. Uh, so we'll make sure that they enjoy their first game, at least the build-up to it. Uh, you know, plucky underdogs, Viking hats. I mean, it's, 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 it's just brilliant for them. You it know, really is, yeah. You can imagine, you know, that in many ways, this is the highlight of Euro 2016 for Sweden. You know, they get, their, they get a chance to sit there, have their manager 
interviewed by the world press, you know, asking about what, oh, what do you think of the group? You know, that's that's great. You've given me an idea here, Murph. I think we could create a Ken Burley type character played by you, <laughs> voiced by you, uh, <laughs> regularly appearing on Swedish radio between now well, and the time of the tournament. Well, itself. if if, uh, if that's what if that's what it, we as a, as a, as a group decide on, then I would be happy to, to fall in. We'd Emma Malone in studio for all that. And we talked to, to Tony Barrett about <laughs> Jurgen Klopp's uh, rather strange rituals over the weekend, or whatever you might call them, strange behaviour in terms of trying to connect with the Liverpool fans. But we're going to talk rugby now, Simon. It's one of these things, we've talked a lot about how poor season it's been for the teams, and yep. we're probably as guilty as anyone else of lumping them all in together to a certain extent up until now yeah, anyway. Broad, broad brush strokes. I yeah. think coming out of the World Cup because it was a negative feeling that was brought into all the provinces doing badly and then yeah we, we sort of gave one examination of all four provinces. When actually we really should be looking at them very separately. But over the weekend it certainly splintered away because Ulster were absolutely ridiculous on Friday night. Bad result for Munster, Foley annoyed. And Leinster was just frustrating yesterday as much as anything. It wasn't, you can't sit here and say oh and sometimes it's easier to talk about a game when you when there's an obvious malfunction and they just or or if the problems were the same as they were in previous games, yeah, which was you know up to now them, yeah. it's been set piece is Leo Cullen uh, too new to the job and then it was completely different problems against Toulon. So yeah, you, you can't pin down Leinster necessarily. Connacht are having the best season they've ever had, yeah. but you're judging them in the Rabo, which we're still not too sure, or the Pro Twelve, which we're still not too sure about. Um, and obviously their European opponents aren't so hot, but then Ulster kind of wrote them off wrote them off after the Saracens game but actually they're at the standard they usually are at which is maybe going to make a European quarter top four of the Pro 12 they're sort of the same as they've been over the last few years whereas Munster and Leinster well Munster's slide is going on so many years now and then Leinster are kind of a couple of years behind that slide but the same trajectory uh, downwards Alright, sounds pretty worrying Shane Horgan you were at the Toulon game yesterday and even speaking to us regularly I always get the idea that you're not totally blown away by the reputation of Toulon you're not as enthralled to them necessarily as some commentators can be the idea maybe that they can actually be beaten if teams just play smart and have belief with that said was that a chance thrown away by Leinster yesterday? Yeah I think it was and you're right um, Toulon have a, an astounding array of talent but they don't always play to their best they don't always play as a team and I actually don't think they're a particularly well conditioned team I know, having spoken to a couple of international coaches, uh, players that had left uh, Toulon and uh, gone to join international squads weren't in the, maybe the shape that you'd expect from really top-end athletes. Um, so I think there's always a, a chance to beat uh, Toulon, and, and especially when they're not following, um, at all on all cylinders. And, and they certainly weren't doing that yesterday. I think um, they were very sluggish. Uh, they looked fatigued by the end of the game. Uh, they didn't capitalise on um, the amount of possession they had. They you know, dropped a lot of balls and they were eminently beatable. Um, and the famous too-long crowd really wasn't in the game at all, didn't play any part until uh, the try right at the end. It was, they were very subdued. And uh, it was a real missed opportunity for Leinster and um, they'll be disappointed. Shane, do you feel Leinster are having different problems in every game this season? It seems if they, they correct some things then other problems crop up. Uh, there's an element of that, but there's something that's underlying uh, all the difficulties, and that's uh, uh, skill, uh, lack of skill. And uh, the skill levels have dropped uh, since the Joe Smith days. There's no doubt about that. That seems to be right across um, the entire team. Uh, I don't, don't know the reason for that. I don't know what changes there have uh, took place in the last couple of years for that to happen. But 
Um, that's, I think, the primary concern that uh, Leo Cullen and Gervin Dempsey will have to address. Shane, uh, Shane just on that, uh, do you mean that the, the younger players who come in, or the replacement players who've come in, as we've lost guys like O'Driscoll and Darcy, are, just aren't at the same skill level, or players who, up until the last couple of years, have been, have been displaying a high skill set, are suddenly losing it for some reason? Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of both, actually. I think uh, some of the players that have come in um, don't uh, have the requisite skill set. I think others do. I think Jack, the likes of Jack McGrath comes in and shows a very, uh, he's a very highly skilled individual. But I think, uh, and, you know, in fairness, um, Van der Flyer was uh, one of the better performers at the weekend. But that said, I think um, a lot of the players who have now taken ownership of the team, as you will, um, maybe aren't as highly skilled. And I think other players have dropped off. And that's concerned now. I'm not sure what the reason for that drop-off in skill is. Um, some people are coming to the end of their career, that's for certain. Uh, certain there you know, Maybe a, a loss of form will explain some of it, but it doesn't explain the overall pattern that is players are, are putting a lot of balls on the ground. They're not challenging their skills, and when they do, and they seem to be falling short, there's a huge amount of ball pass on the inside shoulder at the weekend. And um, without changing those um, deficits that would be a problem. Even a guy like Johnny Sexton, who, whose skill level of skill is uh, is never up for dispute, nor is his mental strength usually. Uh, you made a point yesterday that he does get down on himself sometimes on the field, and we, we've all seen that. But usually, I don't know it strikes me that often he uses that just to get himself going. He, he nearly admonishes himself for mistakes. On days like yesterday, it, it looks like he's. He's just killing himself out there. And an out half, I would have thought, can't do that. You can't really get down on yourself like that after one bad kick, or you'll keep, um, tactically, I mean, tactical kicking, or you'll keep making bad kicks. Well, I think he was. You know, he was certainly tough on himself. Uh, he didn't have a good game, um, whatever about the, the execution of the kicks. Um, I thought his passing game was, was you know, n- nowhere near the, the standard uh, that, that he sets for himself. Uh, a lot, again, a lot of ball inside, shoulder, huge amount of ball on the ground I, you know, there's, there's always a number of factors behind these kind of things I'm sure he'll take a lot of responsibility on himself but maybe other issues as well at play with maybe not the, the, quite the amount of um, communication going on and as you said maybe after a few kicks it sort of, or a few bad passes it, it tends to get into your head and I think you know there may have been an issue there may have been uh, a decision to be made to, to say, you know, Johnny's not going well today, um, do we bring in, in Madigan and, uh, you know, with, with the last 20 to go and see if, you know, he can make an impact? And that was a decision that wasn't made and maybe it was one that should have been. And that's maybe harsh on Johnny, but I think that you have to recognise if someone doesn't have, isn't having a good game and they don't seem to be working the way out of it, maybe, you know, make the change. And, and if you do have the trust in Madigan that we've spoken about, then you have to trust them to, to come in and impact on those games. Do you think it's a longer-term thing with Johnny? Do you buy into the idea that maybe just coming back from France, he's unsettled? Is it, is it a bigger issue here? Well, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be kind of difficult to um, to comment on, on that. I don't know. But well, but what do you make I of think, his form overall? I, I mean, yeah, sorry, I mean just uh, on what's going on off the field. I, you know, I think that it's kind of foolhardy to, to comment on that. And but what I do think is um, that he probably wasn't being coached or challenging himself as um, as high a level as he has as he had been under the Joe Smith. And I know that's very difficult. Um, now, coming back to Leinster after the World Cup, unsettling has been probably 
because there hasn't been time to do a pre-season of working with everyone. He hasn't been working with the same centres. Um, he hasn't, I'm sure, been doing the amount of work that he'd like to do. And then if you're not 100% on, uh, if you're in a couple of percent off, that can affect the game of a 10 in a big way. And of course, the 10 is always the one that's highlighted. But Johnny Sexton is a, you know, a, a, just a remarkably good player. My favourite player to watch, I have to say. And he's allowed to have bad games as well. And it can't be enough that Leinster don't take advantage of a situation like they had yesterday because Johnny Sexton isn't having a good game. Um, other people have to excel under those circumstances. Some did. Luke Fischer, I thought, was really, really impressive. Uh, but others didn't. And, um, you know, I think there also has to be a thought that, as I said earlier, that, you know, if, if Madigan is a viable replacement for Johnny, um, then he should be utilised. Yep, no, that's a fair point. Just on Munster, Shane, Anthony Foley, we were talking a little bit about this earlier on, looked really annoyed afterwards, and he didn't spare his players. He, he did say, OK, it was... Uh, one or two bad, in one case a disgraceful refereeing decision, but uh, on a couple of occasions he was pretty clear that look, I told these players, it's not good enough across the board, scrum, everything essentially, just not good enough at the moment do you do you admire that level of honesty from a head coach? Um, I don't, don't really, know. I think he's he's been slamming a bit of play, uh, pressure up on his players and he's been doing it for a number of weeks now, I think um, some of the language that was being used prior to this match wasn't really helpful, and the problem is that what happens if you don't win this game? You know, if you, if you make this game the, the most important thing and you keep up pressure on the next game, you say, this is, we have to show our fans, you know, how, how passionate we are, and we have to, have to uh, reward their loyalty, and um, it's a real make or break. What happens if you don't win that game? Where do you go then? Hey, where does your rage go the following week or the week after that? And I think it's important that you, you know, as a head coach, that you, you keep those things in mind. And uh, I do think you have to be have a little bit more control, and you have to be a little bit more measured. And it's it's fine for a player to come out and say that. I, I do admire that honestly. I think it's important the players sometimes do it. Um, but I think at the same time, um, I don't, you know, I don't. Nobody wants a coach coming out and, and whitewashing what went on, but. I do think that your outrage has to be somewhat controlled. Is a coach not even more within his rights than a player to say something like that, given that he's the one who's ultimately accountable? Most players aren't going to necessarily get bombed out of a squad or out of a team, whereas a coach is ultimately going to lose his job if the players don't perform for him. So, therefore, he should be allowed to speak like that. No, because is that what you're thinking? Is that what the coach is thinking, that, you know, I'm going to lose my job over this, so I'm going to, these, everyone's going to know that it's up to these players and not up to me? Players will know exactly that that is the conversation that, or the reason for the for the comments, if those are the comments that are made. So um, they shouldn't be. And of course, uh, he's well within his right and should um, have those conversations behind closed doors and be very frank about it and on no uncertain terms uh, set that out to his players because he's right. But. Um, I think that that's a job for behind closed doors and not as an immediate emotional reaction, which it was an emotional reaction. He's an emotional guy. He's very passionate about Munster. But he's not playing in the Munster team of the generation that was so spectacular that he led so well. They aren't the players that, exist, that are there at the moment. And um, they're a long way off those players. So um, I think he, he just needs a little bit more control when, he, when he's speaking about his team. He was having to deal with hypothetical questions afterwards about JJ Hanron leaving the club, about Keatley's form, which was as bad as Sexton's over the weekend. Um, and then ultimately, when Keatley was subbed off, 
and there was kind of not booze, but there was just a feeling from the crowd that they were unhappy with Munster and with Keatley and that he shouldn't have stayed on the pitch that long. It feels like there's deeper issues there. Um, I think there's, you know, there's an issue with Tan, and it's, it's been going on for a long time. I think uh, he made the wrong call uh, when he let uh, JJ Hamilton go. I think that was very regrettable. Um, he didn't have to say... He didn't have to tell JJ Hanrahan that it was definitively going to be number one, but uh, um, I'm not sure that he, you know, promised JJ enough to keep him at the club. And, and that is a real skill of coaches. They have to, you have to be able to do that. You have to be able to keep a carrot dangling for you know more than one player in each position, um, and uh, give them the you know expectation that there's a chance that they will get into the team if they do the right thing and. Um, it's not easy to do that, but it's entirely necessary. And for Munster, who are not blessed with a, a, um, a conveyor belt of quality homegrown backs, JJ Hanlon was someone definitively that should have been kept. And you know what, how how he wasn't kept is is I don't know the, the ins and outs of it, but um, you I would have thought that it would have been possible to keep him because I don't, I, as far as I'm aware. Um, and so as we're told by everyone, including Munster, it wasn't a financial issue. Yeah, Foley did say that he was offered a contract, but um, he refused it and he's within his rights to, to leave the club, obviously. But he was also sort of hinting that the Madigan, Ian Madigan to Munster rumours that he said were coming from Dublin. Munster haven't been contacted about this. They know nothing about it, but that it may have unsettled Keatley. Keatley's had probably the worst day of his professional career, but Munster are still in this group, um, partially because, you know, Teresa are in it, but... You know, they, Leicester aren't such an amazing team that Munster can't go over there and maybe win next weekend. Do you give them any hope? Do you think Ian Keatley can pick himself up? I think he can. You know, he, he's unlikely to play as badly as he did at the weekend. Um, and But but then again, Munster didn't have... They did a lot of good things in that game. And it you know, did a lot of... Some of the rugby they played was... Uh, some of the things they tried to do was... Um, much better than they have done in recent weeks as well. So there's the other side of things. There's, there's the flip, and say Leicester side aren't phenomenal, but they're very dogged. They're um, very committed, and they're a pretty low mistake team. And I think it would be very difficult for Munster to go over there um, and, and get a win. They're really struggling with injuries, and we spoke about in the World Cup with the fact that key players and key injured players can have on your team, and Munster. You know, have a couple of key players in, in um, Peter O'Mahony and uh, Tommy O'Donnell that are, are you know, he will have a huge impact on the way they play and uh, the type of game that they play. And and we're seeing that there's just not the strength and depth. The same to some degree is happening in Leinster, and both sides are really struggling to be the sort of forces that we've known in in uh, Europe, and they're just not there at the moment. All right, Shane, brilliant stuff. Thanks, William. Thanks so much. He's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.
That's really interesting stuff on, particularly on Anthony Foley there from Shane. Just to flesh out the quotes that you mentioned there about the JJ Hanron. It's funny because Jerry, this is Jerry Thorny's biggest bugbear in Irish rugby is the fact that this ridiculously skillful player was allowed to go yep. over to England when really he should about what it represents yeah, as much as the player to, to, itself. Yeah, to yeah. A team that really need player, as many good players as they can get. We offered JJ a contract, says Foley. JJ opted to go to Northampton. That's his decision. That's fine. Everybody has the right of choice. The Madigan thing, that news story came from Dublin. Nobody in Munster has spoken to Madigan or attempted to speak to Madigan. That could be unsettling for a player, particularly in the week of a big game, whether there's a Leinster player or the Munster player holding the jersey. Uh, you put that to Shane there, but just on that, if you're mentally tough enough and if you're playing at the right level, surely that shouldn't actually affect you. The, the, these rumours might, might well, be there. But the, maybe, it, maybe, maybe I'm taking the human element completely out of sport there. Uh, I suppose if, if in your own head you're thinking, well, hang on, they, they want to get rid of me or they want somebody else to come in and replace me, maybe it does. Yeah, I mean, Keatley's been reasonably consistent over his career. He's never reached very high highs. Mm. But, you know, he's never had particularly low lows. This, I think, was his worst performance for Munster um, since he joined the province. But ultimately, it's David Nusafor's opinion that maybe Madigan is better than Keatley. That's if there's any substance to the rumours that Madigan might go to Munster. All it is is David Nusifora, maybe Joe Schmidt's opinion that uh, Madigan is a better fit for Munster and a better player than Keatley. But that's just you know that's another guy's opinion. Whereas his own coach has backed him and, and backed him last season, and he's consistently got his place since Ron O'Gara went. So why would one new opinion change your mind? And a couple of articles. I mean, there's been plenty of critical articles of Keatley over the years. Yeah, and I think that the. Uh, it, it can affect a guy you know, on a human level, as you say, as in, I've, you know, I've heard that rumour, I didn't like it, mm-hmm. it bothered me. But whether it actually affects your play, whether you can uh, hold your hand up and say, after a European Cup game against Leicester in Tolman Park, and say, I would have played better if I hadn't heard this. I mean, I think you can be affected by it on a human level without it affecting your rugby game. I mean, it... it I mean, yeah. that's, you know, yeah, that's like, probably do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, obviously, it's... Obviously, it's not nice to hear, but mm. equally, obviously, you need to play well. Yeah. You, need to sh- you need to show why me and Madigan's not welcome here. <laughs> yeah. There's no need for you and Madigan yeah. here because look yeah. at look what I can do. Yeah, Keatley in the past in post, he's very honest in post match, very open, and he'll blame himself for some defeats and just say I wasn't good enough, which Ian Madigan has done in the past as yeah. well. Sexton doesn't speak that way, but his body language did say it at the weekend, but you feel with Sexton, he's putting the pressure of the whole team's resurgence and his return on himself. Whereas Keatley, I think, is just more worried about his future, his his contracts, his future at Munster. Yeah, I think we should probably go back to Vegas one more time. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, why not? Right. Oh, there's blackjack and poker and the roulette wheel. A fortune won and lost on every deal. All you need is strong heart and a new steel. Beaver! Thanks a lot, Pepe. Go ahead, Pepe. You go ask for Heaver. Yes, sir. And their new world federate of the championship. God, You know, that fan is right now, Murph. Yeah. McGregor is the new, what is it? The new world, world featherweight, featherweight of, of the championship. The championship. Yeah, that's that what he is right now. <laughs> we should just always play that clip, just for that one little uh, soundbite alone. Ken, you're double jobbing over there. We've talked, McGregor, but I want to find out your impressions on the Euro 2016 draw. A rather difficult one. Uh, it's, I think it's a nice draw. I really? Like oh, I think it's nice. Well, I don't, mean, I don't mean to say that it's easy, but I think it's... I don't think it's as bad as the last Euro draw we had. Well, no. See, I, mean, I, th- I think that once you, once you have been through that experience, <laughs> once you've been the worst team that's ever played in the Euros, then it's like, 
nothing really seems that, that intimidating ever again. It's like, well, the worst has already happened, and frankly, it was still okay. So let's just go out there and give it a bloody good go. I mean, it's, you know, Sweden are our team on a, on a, on a fair, you know, I mean, remember when we had Anders Bengtsson on talking about Zlatan, and he was saying, well, you know, we're a bit like a, of an Ireland-type team, really. Um, the only difference is we've got Zlatan. But, you know, it's good that we've got the first game against Sweden, um, it's going to be in Paris. It's going to be a fantastic um, turnout there. I'm sure. You know, it's an, it's, it's an exciting game in prospect. Um, Zlatan will be like Maradona um, playing for Argentina against Italy and Napoli. Um, I'm sure the Parisians will support him. But you know, I'd say there'll probably be 40,000 Irish people in the stadium, so it should be a big game. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's going to be three big games. I think Ireland have a chance. Um, France is a beautiful country. Weather's got to be nice. You know, you get to see. Eden Hazard and and um, Zlatan oh, yeah, and we can Fellaini see all, yeah, we can see all, look, we can what, see all these, like? yeah, we can see all these great players on TV again. Or you know, Irish fans can go somewhere else within France to see them against other teams. <laughs> exactly, they can go see Belgium play some other board for. Uh, I don't know. Whatever about Belgium, um, yeah, there were other teams in Pot One who we who we would have liked to have avoided. I'm thinking of Spain in particular here. Oh yeah. But uh, so that was yeah, grand. But Italy in Pot Two, Martin O'Neill reckons it's like having two Pot One teams. Really, he thinks Italy should have been in that first pot. Sweden. Yeah. Okay, Sweden might be Ireland plus Zlatan, but that is Ireland plus Zlatan. It's funny. <laughs> the amount of people I've talked to, friends, you know, we're on you know, the usual on WhatsApp straight away. And the amount of people saying, but you see, if Zlatan gets injured, and of course, if Zlatan gets injured, that's great, but he's more likely statistically to be uninjured than yeah. injured. He's not a guy who spends that much time on the bench. So you have to assume he's going to be there. I don't know. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm quite anxious about this draw, Ken. Oh, yeah. No, I think, I think he'll be there. But, you know, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, three, big, it's three big games. It could, be, it could be amazing. I mean, we don't know. We could, easily, we could equally, you know, have, have drawn... Uh, who would we not want to play? You know, Slovakia... Um, uh, I don't know. Who else would, would we not want to play? Uh, well, I don't know why I'm picking on Slovakia. Yeah, I'm poor, sorry. Poor, poor I'm sorry. Poland. Say we, got, say we got Germany and Poland again. <laughs> not again. Oh, no. We could easily have got that. That would have been just as bad a draw in, in terms of, you know, oh, the difficulty of the teams we're, we're facing. Yeah, I really, didn't, have, I really didn't want to play Germany again. chance to play these new games. Yeah, know? I really didn't want to play Germany again. I know we've beaten them and drawn with them, so we should have some confidence, but that mightn't have been a, a yeah, good Yeah, and I thing. just have this feeling about Belgium, you know, that Belgium could definitely be really good at this tournament, or they could just be terrible. I mean, they don't really have, you know, they don't have a tradition of being really strong tournament, a really strong no. tournament team. Mm. So, I mean, like, no, they've, every they've, single year at, at all of these tournaments, there's a really brilliant team that, oh, here, listen, Ivory Coast, they're going to go the whole way, you know? Columbia for yeah. a few Yeah, and, like, it just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't always happen. I mean, I'd much rather have a Belgium in, in the group than Spain or France or Germany, and that's... You know, like you're in the bottom half of the pot one teams already. As far as uh, that, that would be my that would be my opinion. Yeah, um, I think so, that, so too. I mean, if, if you compare Ireland with Belgium, um, you'd probably pick the Belgian player in nearly every position on the <laughs> every field. But one, it doesn't yeah. mean that the team, the, the Belgian team, has really um, been you know the sum of those parts. It hasn't been yet. I mean, it might it might still be. They are the number one ranked team in the world because they win. Nearly all their games, so you know <laughs> that's the main issue. Yeah, I'm a bit concerned about that, and the fact that Italy, I think Italy went unbeaten in there. They did in their qualification, so yeah. I'm just a little worried about the fact that these teams win all their matches. That's my main concern. Uh, with Italy yeah, and Belgium, you just got to look these, beyond these the numbers. Yeah, that is true. Listen, we'll wrap this up. There's loads more of that in the uh, in the other podcast out today. So, Ken, in the meantime, we'll uh, we'll safe home. Thanks for the Thanks, excellent Alan. reporting. Yeah, thank um, you. Yeah, looking looking forward to coming home and getting back to that fresh 
Irish air. I always feel so fresh. It does something to me, Owen, being at home among my people. <laughs> going to get home. Going to have some nice food. Going to relax with my family. And uh, then to see where see where it takes us. I think Ken <laughs> might be losing his marbles. We just, he's got to we, get him back. We should probably finish it there, Ken. Thanks, Karen. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Karen. Thanks very much for listening. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.